Hello, hello. Uh, my name is Shay Monique Tracy. I go by Shay, and this is the Shay Tracy Podcast. So those of you who are brand new to me, I am a parent and parent coach. I am a consultant and an author, and I specialize in problem behaviors because I love them so much. <laughs> I think behavior is super interesting, and it communicates a, a really ravishing story that we can cut apart and dissect. And for my overthinking self, it's just easy for me to see the bigger picture and the little small minute things that our children do and what our spouses do and what our friends do and everything else. So I use all of that to help you stop problem behaviors, to help you change them, to help you eliminate them entirely and to give them some new ones, right? And um, in that, I've learned this skill working as an educator with students who have special needs, as well as having my own son who has ADHD. And then my youngest, when you become a parent of two, you learn that you're not the greatest parent you thought you were, right? Instead, you find out that uh, you have a lot more to learn. And um, working on becoming a family of three, <laughs> it is... Um, I'm excited to see what may happen, right, in terms of that. But in any case, this particular episode is really special to me because uh, I decided to do something in honor of my birthday. So I just had a birthday. I turned 34 years old, which is crazy to even say out loud. But instead of me having a particular driven episode, I decided that for this episode, I was going to share the 34 lessons I've learned as a parent. And as a parent coach, as an educator, in terms of helping to better shape, mold, and, you know, do all the things for our kids' behaviors that we want to do so that they be can become positive, contributing members of society, right? That's our hope. That's our aim. We want them to be successful, whatever it is that that looks like for them. And um, these are the 34 lessons that I've learned in the past journey as both an educator, as a parent, my own personal life. Uh, these particular lessons, they're not um, numbered or ranked. Like, this is the one thing you absolutely have to know. That's not it. But if anything, uh, in any given order, these are the lessons I've learned over the years that I just wanted to share with you in hopes of making your parenting journey that much more simple. So uh, without starting with something super loaded, um, and maybe in the hopes of just giving you something small and quick that you can go to, uh, the best thing that you can do for your kid and for yourself is to learn this phrase, five more minutes. So lesson number one, five more minutes, right? And five more minutes, what that really means is that you can use it as a timer. You can use it as a countdown. You can use that as a tool to communicate that you need more time. And that is the best refrain, the best script that we can give our kid who in the midst of them being busy, in the midst of them not wanting to leave something, in the midst of them being in the thick of it, hey, you ready to go? Nope. Five more minutes. And I find it so fascinating how kids of any age, right? Two, five, ten, they all know five more minutes means more time doing what they want. And communicating that can always, um, oftentimes, it leads to alleviating those problem behaviors, right? So if they don't want to go and you give them five more minutes, that's a treat, right? If they have to do something and they're not looking forward to it, five more minutes, that's the prep, right? And if 
it's something that you're hoping that, you know, we can get them to stop, right? It's five more minutes <laughs> and five more minutes, especially modeled by us, because if we use that refrain and we give them the time and space for them to use that refrain, it becomes a way of communicating that's really an honorable mention because it communicates, I value what you're doing. I value that you have an interest in something. I'm giving you time to transition and I'm letting you know something is about to change, right? And when we do that, when we use that and we also give it to them for them to use, it makes it really easy to just have an easier day because we're all using the same language. We all know what that means and there's no misunderstanding when we use it, right? Lesson one. Lesson two. Timers, in addition to five more minutes, timers are your best friend. Timers are your best friend. And I've always used them in my classroom. And I started using them here at home with our kids um, when they were really, really young. Because again, that structure, that routine and helping them with transitions from one thing to the next is really going to help alleviate a lot of those problem behaviors. What we often see is that they don't understand how much time is left or how much time they have to do, right? So what we do is we tell them this arbitrary amount of time and then they don't understand what that means. And then they get upset because it's either broken their stride, it's broken what they've been doing, they have to leave abruptly, et cetera. So a countdown, a timer really helps in terms of getting them to understand like, hey, something's coming up. Hey, we're about to go do something. Hey, don't get too settled. Hey, don't even get started. This is about to happen, right? And in doing that, it helps them to one, understand the expectation and it helps them to acclimate to what is about to take place. So timers are your absolute best friend. All right, so lesson three, um, let them tell you no. This is a huge lesson that I've learned um, as a parent, as a teacher, as a consultant working with families, giving your child the space to tell you no is amazing. And here's why. It helps our child understand that there are boundaries and there are things that you can and cannot do. And what I say matters and giving them the language to make something matter is really empowering for them. It's really affirming for them and letting them tell you, no, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to go. No, not right now. All those things. If we do it, we do it, we do it, we do it, we do it. And then we give them the space to do it too. It just helps to create a better dynamic between the two of us because it's built on a language of trust. It's built on um, a relationship of understanding, right? And it also helps to empower them to let them know that what you say does impact the environment around you, right? So our children oftentimes feel like they have no power. They feel like they have no authority. They feel like they have no say. So giving them the space to have that say it all, it's going to create this dynamic that you're really looking for between you and your kid, right? And it might feel some type of way to be told no, like, I don't like being told no, right? Our children also don't like being told no, but we as the adult, we have the capacity to understand what that no may mean, that there's something else behind that, right? Like there's a reason we're being told no. And even as an adult, I still struggle with being told no. I don't like it. I don't want it. You're going to do what I ask. You're going to do what I say. And when you tell me no, I'm like, 
why? <laughs> so opening that up, opening that space, giving our kids the authority to tell us no. And it doesn't have to be for serious things. It could be for small things. It could be for little things. You don't have to completely throw away your power. You don't have to be disrespected. That's not what I'm asking you to do. That's not what I'm encouraging you to do. I'm encouraging you to let them know that their words have power. And there is so much power in the word no. And I'm sure your two-year-old tells you no all the time. And it'd be great if you honored it once. (laughs) if you honored it one time and okay and see the position or how shook they are shortly thereafter because they're no matters then you'll be surprised what more they'd be willing to say to you and really that's what we want we want open communication we want children who will come to us when they're in trouble when they're hurt when they messed up like that's what we want and we have to open up that communication. And I find it really interesting because parents will say at some point uh, that their kid doesn't talk to them, like they don't tell them things. And it's because at some point we've broken that bridge of communication by not honoring what they say. So give them that space and open it back up by just giving them the floor and giving them some agency and giving them some say and see what happens. All right. All right, cool. So I want to say, was that lesson four? (laughs) Maybe. I kind of went out of order. So my next lesson, I'm going to say lesson five. Yeah? Lesson five is uh, whoopings don't work. They don't work at all. They don't work at all. They help your child to be afraid of you. They can teach your child to lie to you because they don't want to get the retribution of what will come. And it is retribution, right? To physically hit someone is retribution. Like in no other dynamic, power dynamic, relationship dynamic, is it ever okay for you to hit someone else? So I find it really interesting uh, when parents whip their kids. And I get it. I was whipped as a child. I understand where that comes from. I understand that that was a mechanism that was used for a long time. But I also know how I felt after that whipping, right? Well, then I just won't tell my mom. Well, then I just won't get caught. Well, then I'll just hide it better. Well, then I just won't say that next time. And it wasn't don't say that, like, I'm going to correct you. I respect you so much more now (laughs) because you've shown me how strong you are and how powerful you are. If anything, we give away our power when we show them I have no other mechanism or tool aside from hitting you in order for you to be corrected. And that's just a limited toolbox. That's just going around and every problem is a nail because all you have is a hammer. It doesn't work. (laughs) It doesn't fix things. If anything, it breaks them, right? Using a hammer on things that don't require a hammer makes it so that it doesn't work properly. So we don't do that. We don't whoop our kids because we have a lot more tools. We have a lot more methods. We have a lot more strategies um, to get you to engage in the behavior you're supposed to engage in because it's more appropriate. It's socially appropriate. It's age appropriate, right? It follows the values that we have in this family. So having that, showing that, providing that, I think is really necessary because um, removing that from your family, removing that from your language, removing that idea of being threatening and powerful and being feared 
um, as a parent, like, let's retire that in the 90s. Like, let's just put it down and don't pick it back up again. So I know sometimes I feel the urge <laughs> to just want to pop just right quick. Just just the one, two, just these two fingers. I don't have to do anything extra. But we all know, like, that's not it. It's not going to do the thing. It's not going to do the thing. And, and when my words aren't working, that's the things that I say. I say things like, wow, I had to say that to you twice now. Um, I don't understand what's missing, but... I'm telling you to do something and you're not doing it. What's going on, right? And this opens up the floor for you to communicate back to me why you're not listening. Maybe you don't understand or you're hungry or you're tired or you, what you think you're doing, what, what you're doing is really important to you right now. So you don't care what I'm asking you to do. And in those moments, I'm the adult and I can understand and I can have a better discussion and a better explanation. And um, I can help steer that behavior to something that serves the both of us, right? But let's just, let's just leave women's threatening the stare. <laughs> and you know you have the stare. I have a stare. And that stare is not meant to intimidate. It's literally like, look, I have no more words. I have no more words. And I'm losing my, I'm losing my capacity to be nice right now. Because I understand that this situation is growing, right? So my stare, uh, it normally comes with words, but I know a lot of parents who use the stare as an intimidation tactic. And then you feel some type of way when your kid is staring back at you, like they're going to do something to you. And you have to remember like, well, they learned it somewhere. So let's be mindful of what we're teaching them. Yeah? Okay, cool. (laughs) All right. Lesson six. Um, handed to me. Handed to me is the best verbiage you will ever use because there's no way you can tell me I took something away from you because take requires force. So I love being able to hand it to me. So it's clear that you're giving up something. I'm not taking it from you. You're being willful. You're making a choice. You're giving it to me. I don't have to take it from you. I don't have to make it so that you don't have access to it. It's, you're all done. Hand it over. Best expression ever. Best expression. Because again, it gives them choice. It gives them choice and they can take as long as they'd like to hand it over. But it is clear you're choosing to do the right thing because I'm not taking it from you. You're giving it up. I've asked you for it. You're not using it appropriately. You don't, you don't have any access to this moving forward. We'll get it back tomorrow, et cetera. It helps to establish some clear boundaries because once you hand it over, it's no longer yours, right? At least at the time that I have it. So using that expression, I'm telling you, it's going to change it, change everything, all right? So we talked about the use of countdowns. We talked about five more minutes um, and we talked about timers, And what I'm going to say in this particular lesson, lesson six, or I'm sorry, lesson seven, is to make room for tears. You have to make room for them to physically get it out 
in a way that's meaningful and in a way that helps them. So what I've learned um, is that my son, my eldest especially, right? Uh, ADHD impulsivity is one of the things that they have a lot of difficulty with. Uh, Emotional regulation is something that they have a lot of difficulty with. And my youngest, both of my children, I've learned, they've learned to weaponize their tears. And they use it in hopes of getting something because sympathy uh, is found to have worked. If I cry, people will look at me. If I cry, uh, I get attention in this way. And we don't want to redirect that behavior or we don't want to reinforce that behavior. Instead, we want to give it the space that it deserves. So in the midst of, you know, my son's crying, working with students who cry in order to get something, I'm very intentional on the, on the language that I use and saying something to the effect of, um, I love that you're allowing yourself to release that frustration, but crying isn't going to get you the thing that you want. So if it's giving you the emotional release that you need, I love that. I'm I'm glad you're able to get all of that out because you need to, and you shouldn't hold that into your body. It's not good for you, but this isn't going to change what's currently happening. And I'll leave it there because if our child is using tears in hopes of getting something, then it's a transaction, right? I cry, you give me this thing. I cry, I can get a hug. I cry and it becomes this thing. And again, I don't want it to sound as like uh, my crying child doesn't, uh, doesn't get comforted. They most certainly get comforted. But again, I don't want it to become the space of if I cry, then I get something, right? So if you cry and you, you legit are crying, um, and it's not up for me to decide that. <laughs> That's up to my kid, right? And I go, well, what do you need from me? What do you need from me right now? And that often comes with a hug or uh, can you just sit next to me? And this is if they're they're crying to get it out. But if they're crying to get something, which my youngest likes to do, uh, he likes to do that. And we're working on that behavior. He's six. So, you know, we got a little bit. We have some time. But in the midst of that, just being mindful of that refrain, because when it comes time for them to really cry, and you know the difference between those cries, because every parent does. Every parent knows when that's like, uh, my feelings are hurt cry, and my body is in pain cry, and we can feel it in our stomachs, right? Uh, it just, ugh, it takes hold of you in a different way. Your heart kind of responds differently because we're intuitive that way. We can hear it. We are nuanced to them and their cries and their whimpers and their tears. And that's beautiful. It's really profound, Um, but not as a means or a tactic to get the things that they want. Right. So make room for tears. And uh, that includes boys too. I let my sons cry and we should, right. Mental health, emotional awareness, emotional intelligence. It is absolutely necessary to not say and to not act like crying is just for young girls or for women. That's not real. You're fully capable as a man to cry. You're capable. You're aware. Your body allows you to do this. So let's not pretend like it's only for one gender and not the other. That's ridiculous. (laughs) That's ridiculous. So in any case, make room for tears and allow it to be what it is. Be in the space to be comforted, but also know like, we we just gonna chill. We gonna ride it out, all right? All right, so lesson eight, honor their likes. Honor their likes. 
So we have children who have interests that do not interest us. <laughs> they don't interest us and they don't have to, that they're not their interests. They're not your interests. They're their interests. Right. And, um, we had this beautiful, uh, moment where we get to experience and also see the death of all the things that they used to be interested in the things that they become interested in. Right. So if you think back on, on any of your children and the things that they loved when they were babies and the things that they now love as whatever age they are, those are things are completely different. Like the home movie with Rihanna. Oh my God, that alien and the way he spoke drove me crazy. But we watched that movie at least a hundred times because my son loved it. He loved it. He loved that movie. He loved the soundtrack. We played the soundtrack in the car. It's amazing the ridiculous things we do for our children, right? Um, and now he's like a Roblox, Minecraft, soccer lover. And I hate soccer, but I'm going to sit and watch. <laughs> and I hate Roblox, but I'm going to ask about it. And Minecraft does not interest me, but I've learned to see his interest and to like connect it to other things, right? So when our child becomes narrowed in and focused on, we don't necessarily have to stay with that obsession. We can branch and bridge it to other things. This is something that you may love. Your kid really loves dinosaurs. They probably have an affinity towards large animals, right? So let's connect you to some other animals that you may like, or you just find it super dope that the names are so absurd and so ridiculous. You can see or hear your three-year-old make all of these syllabications, uh, like you can say all these things and it's because it just feels good in their mouth, right? So then that's where you find other words that sound and feel delicious because they get to say all those sounds and it's just super dope. So again, seeing the connection, seeing the things that they honor, seeing the things that they like and then bridging them to other things, sitting and taking the time to enjoy those things with them even if it's for 10 minutes, even if it's, for, if it's for 15 minutes, if someone came and walked up to you and asked you about the book you were reading, you'd be elated. You would be, oh my God, over the moon. Or if someone came and asked you about something that you were making, you would talk about it for hours. And really all we have to do is listen, actively, actively listen, not ask the question. We're on our phone. We're watching TV. Like, Give some undivided attention to help that out. And I'm telling you, it's going to build that rapport. It's going to build that dynamic. And it's going to make it so that my mom listens to me, my dad listens to me, and I get to talk about whatever I want, right? And that also helps to build up your relationship. That also helps to build up communication. Because what you're saying to me is the things that you talk about are important to me. And we want them to understand that. We want them to feel that, right? It's necessary for them to do that. All right. Lesson number nine. Are we, is it 10? Are we on 10? I think I'll skip one. So I'm at nine. So um, in addition to timers, five more minutes, I say countdowns and countdowns are a vibe because telling someone they have five more minutes, one more minute, 10 seconds, it really builds up anticipation and it also helps them get ready. So a lot of kids who have trouble struggling with being able to transition is because they're just not aware of the aloofness of time. Time is so like spacey. It goes by really quickly when you're having a great time and it moves like molasses when you're dying. It moves like molasses when you're working out, when you're doing something horrible. So time doesn't work 
in a functional way. So our kids saying like, oh my God, that was so quick is because it really was quick. They were having a great time. And yeah, they were there for 45 minutes, but to them, it felt like five. And you've had those moments too, where you felt that, right? So again, just counting down. It's going to save you a lot of frustration. It's going to make it so that um, you can also add on that, do you need five more minutes? And you can say that five minutes before you're ready to leave. And it works great. (laughs) It works great. And they're able to be more agreeable because they feel like they got something. When really, it was a meeting of the minds. We have to leave at 10. It's 9.50. Let me say five more minutes at 9.50 and then give them two more minutes on top of that so that when we actually leave, they don't feel any kind of way. They're actually agreeable because they got what they wanted. They got their five more minutes. They got their countdown. They got that timer, right? All right, cool. So, um... Pause before responding is going to be less than 11. How many times have you just responded immediately, reacted is really what it is. They say something, it makes you what? <laughs> Excuse me? Is what your, body, what your brain is saying? And then your mouth follows, right? They say something, your brain is triggered, you say whatever comes after that. And that might not be the thing that you want to say. Or maybe even worse, you're yelling now because you're annoyed or frustrated or peeved or whatever the word is. Um, Because there is a word and we just haven't found it, right? Um, But pause before responding is a lifesaver. If you don't know how long to pause, I would even say count. (laughs) Count to five. Just what do you think about blah, blah, blah? And then your brain, one, two, three. Four, and then you finally say what you have to say or they break something and you pause <laughs> and you count and I'm hoping in the midst of that pause you're probably breathing in some capacity right you a deep breath in you're holding it and then instead of you know you yelling and cutting at your kid instead you're able to say something quick like go put your shoes on so you can be safe I need you to have a seat so I can clean this up. I understand that it was an accident, but this was really important to me. These are the things, right? That when we pause, we give ourselves the time, the space, and the capacity to respond rather than react. And we want to do that. We want to come across as rational people because we are rational people. We are experienced and older, and we are their mentors and their guidance and their parents, and we're, we love them, and they do annoying, horrible things. <laughs> they do incredibly annoying things. Um, but we have the capacity to give them the love, the unconditional love that they're asking for and that they deserve. So instead of you reacting and saying something that you might regret, or you reacting and then feeling bad because you didn't get them, to do the thing that you wanted to do in a more appropriate way, just pause and see what happens. All right? Okay. Lesson 12, get up and go get them. So what I often see and what I used to do and I am now, I've been delivered, (laughs) is you say this thing to them. Hey, do da-da-da. Go get. And then you kind of say it to the air. 
And then you notice your child isn't doing the thing that you told them to do. And what we often do, because we're under the assumption that they're not listening, which is really a judgment. So we don't make judgments. Instead of you repeating it, instead of you yelling it louder, instead of you rephrasing it, get up and go to them. And now you know they can see you because you have their attention. Now you know they can hear you because you're in front of them. The TV is now turned off or down or their earbud is out or whatever. And you look them in the face and you tell them directly, hey, I asked you to do blank. And this does two things. Clears up miscommunication, which is perfect. This is great. But two, it also tells them you meant what you said. (laughs) Our kids are wonderful at reading in between the lines and making us spaz out because in their minds, she doesn't mean it. Not yet, because she would have said it louder. She would have said it more angry. And our kids are listening for those same nuances, the same way we can hear the subtlety in their cry. They're listening to the subtlety in our request. And if if the only time you get them to listen is when you're being loud and when you're being aggressive, it makes it really difficult to them for them to respond the first time when you say it nice. And this is what we often hear. Well, I said it nicely the first time. Yeah, but they may not have been listening. They may not have been paying attention or they heard some of it, but they didn't care enough to hear the rest. So they're not listening and they are learning and they have learned when she says it this way, I have to do it right now. When, when that way, the way we're saying it, we actually don't want to say it that way. We actually don't want to be loud. We actually don't want to go. We actually don't want to do all the, like, we don't want to do that. We want to be the pleasant first version that they don't seem to honor. So get real and get close and personal and say it directly. Right? Let's try that out. Okay. So and in the midst of that, in the midst of that, to do that lesson, right? Lesson uh, 13, you want to go in and eye to eye, have this discussion, have this discussion, looking them in the face, not you standing up high above them, not you looking down on them, but that squat, squatting and being at their eye level and having that really quick, hey, I need you to go do so-and-so. One, it's intimate. It's not for the entire world. It's just this one-on-one moment. It puts you again in this dynamic, this relational dynamic where I'm giving information, you're receiving information, and that's it. It doesn't have to be a power structure. It doesn't have to be a power dynamic. Everything isn't about that. It's inherent. You have power. You're adults. You're bigger. (laughs) You take care of them. You pay bills. They're aware of this. They don't need to be reminded of our power. We know our power. And that's just it. Someone with power, they don't feel the need to flex it. They don't feel the need to throw it. They don't feel the need to be real loud with it. It's when you don't feel you have any power that you're exerting yourself in this way because you have to be forceful. And power isn't forceful in this way, right? It's very subtle. It's very subtle, especially as a parent especially as a conscious parent, especially as a problem-proof, problem-behavior-proof parent. You, you don't move this way. 
because you already know. I'm, I have this authority and you have some authority and together we're going to do the thing that we're trying to do. Right. So I, I squat, try it out. Let me know if it works, <laughs> especially with your little, little humans, right? Especially with your little humans. Lesson 14, let them make choices. So when I say that, I'm not asking about like, I'm not talking about, you know, in the store, picking out their favorite toy. I'm talking about choices in their day, choices in their evening routine, choices in dinner, choices in fill in the blank, right? Giving them some autonomy, the ability to just move outside of you without having to constantly check in. We all want the freedom and the ability to do that. But if they are so scheduled out, it makes it really difficult for them to feel like they have any choice, that they have any say. So giving them the room to do that, it really loosens up their ability and it helps you to see what they would do without you. If I wasn't here, if I wasn't imposing my will upon you, if I wasn't imposing my rules upon you, what would you do? What would you do? So really quick, funny story. My son, uh, we are anti-YouTubers in this house, right? Because YouTube can be nonsense sometimes, okay? I remember listening and hearing a nursery rhyme and then seeing <laughs> Grand Theft Auto, on the screen. And I'm thinking to myself, when I left this room, you were listening to Wills on the Buds. I come back, you're listening to London Bridge. And I'm thinking, that's great. And then I go and I look at the screen and you're watching Grand Theft Auto. Who made this and why? <laughs> Who made this and why? But somebody made it. Somebody made it. So we're super anti-YouTubers, or at least we used to be. And then we have to get more selective and more mindful and more present. And that's what it is, right? When you're trying to open up and give space and capacity, and sometimes it requires a lot of you, you just say, well, we just won't do it because it requires too much of my attention. When really, we just have to be more intentional. We just have to be more intentional. So my son started to uh, draw pictures and that was really cool. And he had seen some videos I had shown to my students where uh, you get to like copy what the person is drawing. And that now has turned into an obsession, right? So before I used to be concerned all, often because my children were just using YouTube as a form of entertainment and um, they have enough entertainment. And then we gave them the space to actually use YouTube in the way that they wanted, in a way he wanted. And in that, he learned how to draw like a million Pokemon. And that went from Pokemon uh, to other animals, to Animatrix, to these 3D paper mache items. Like it's evolved into this whole new form. And it was just because we gave some autonomy. We gave some choice in how he used YouTube. And that was really eye-opening for me because if anything, it just taught me like, we don't have to completely restrict the thing. We just have to give some, some boundaries around it. We have to give some fences around it. So allow them to make choices and see what they do, right? And see what happens. And lesson 15, this is an expression that I think every parent needs to use. And you can use this in every dynamic, in every relationship that you ever had. The expression is, what do you need? 
What do you need? And I remember when they were smaller, they didn't know how to answer that question. And then I would pose options. Do you need a hug? Do you need a kiss? Do you need a break? Do you need time? Do you need, because they don't know what they need, right? And they can't communicate that to them, to you. And by asking the question, we're giving them the floor to go internal and to unpack the thing that they actually need. What is it that you need? And they can't be sure. So help them initially in that. And then once you give them the floor to give you that lesson, then you can ask those real honest and open questions about like, I think I need this. And at the end of it, they'll come to understand that it isn't oftentimes some physical thing. It's not the toy that they need. It's the entertainment. It's not the TV show that they want. It's the joy that it brings. It's not the fill in the blank, but we can help them get there just by asking that question. And then lesson 16, the question or the statement that I often ask is, how can I help? How can I help? They like to come and tell us things. <laughs> and I'm a stickler on questions. I'm a stickler on questions. Ask me the thing that you want to ask me. I don't want to have to interpret what your question is asking because the world will not do that for you. So let me help you get to the thing that you really want to ask, right? Let me help you with that. And we can actually make that lesson 16. Help them with the questions that they're asking, Okay, but the question, how can I help, back to lesson 16, the question, how can I help, it puts the driver, it puts them in the driver's seat. What is it that you want to see me do in response to this thing that you need? Do you want me to listen? Do you want me to get involved? <laughs> do you want me to take over? <laughs> what is it that you're asking of me? How can I help you in this situation? And really it helps us to better understand our kid as a person. Like, are you someone who shuts down quickly? Are you someone who doesn't like to do hard things? Are you someone who's constantly trying to avoid frustration? Are you someone who just needs to hear what is it that you're going through? Like, what is it that you want from me so I can give you that thing? And in the same times, we're able to like see them and see their strengths and see the things that they need in that because our kids are telling us communication. They're giving us information all the time. And sometimes we just kind of wash it away. Like that's not a big deal, not a big deal until it becomes this huge thing. And you're like, well, where did this come from? And it didn't come from a vacuum. Like it's built up over time. And now that we finally see it, it's a huge problem, right? Where if we were to just open it up a little bit more, dissect it a little bit more, we could find out what that thing is early on and help them address it, right? If your child is constantly asking for praise, it's they must feel, <laughs> they must feel some level of insecurity. And I need to help them with that insecurity. How do we bolster up their confidence? If my child is constantly coming to me, uh, crying over things that he's lost, then that might be a question of organization. Maybe you have too much stuff. Maybe I've given you too much and I need to take some things away. Like there's a lot of ways to get through it and to unpack it. And it really just depends on, you know, asking better questions. So back to 17, teach your kids to ask better questions. Oftentimes our children, they come to us and they give us these lofty, airy questions 
that are one, not asking the direct thing. And it's, if anything, it comes away as the space of not having enough or being unappreciative. And oftentimes the perfect example I can think of is <laughs> when, you know, you're, you have two kids in front of you, you give this kid two meatballs, you give the other kid three and they go, why does he get three? That's not the question. That's not what you're asking. <laughs> you don't care about why he has three. You care about why you don't have three. So what is your question? It's not, why does he have three? It's, can I have three? Can I have three? Can I? Why does he get ice cream? Can I have ice cream? Why does he get to play outside? Can I play outside? When really the comparison is in the end, it sounds indignant. It sounds indignant, but it, it comes from a space of lack and our child being unable to advocate for the things that they want or the things that they think they deserve. And us being able to steer in their questions and help them hone in on their questions and get really clear about what they're asking, one, makes it so that you actually get what you want. Because if I say, well, he gets three because he's bigger, it doesn't really get you the thing that you want, which is another meatball, right? And we want to be able to help our kids get the things that they want and ask for it in a way that's meaningful and in a way that's going to actually resolve the issue at hand but we have to teach them this and we teach them this by just helping them with that communication right we don't we don't need to have passive communication you can be direct and not rude you can be assertive you can advocate for yourself you don't have to look to the left and to the right you when you know what you need you know how to go about getting what you want, but we have to help our children identify what is it that they need so that they can get those things, right? All right, lesson 17. Um, lesson 18, confer with your partner. Confer with your partner. And confer, you're just gonna speak, conference, <laughs> talk to them. And you're going to talk to them even about the things that you can decide on your own. And I say this, especially in the space of parenting, because what I've learned and what I often see and what I've experienced in our home, too, is that our children can pit us against each other. Well, mom said, well, dad said, well, mom won't, but dad will. Like, so it's they can do that. Um, and oftentimes that communication or that breakdown in communication is what causes these bigger issues. Well, why are they eating a popsicle? Well, I told them they could have a popsicle. Well, I told them they couldn't. And now your kid <laughs> is in the midst of eating this popsicle and it's the two of you disagreeing, right? When really we're, we're the team, you and I are the team. And this is our, this is our project, our, our family, our, family values, our legacy, whatever, like we're working towards that end. So conferring with your partner, hey, these are my thoughts on this. Hey, I'm thinking we should try this. I would really like for us to do this, right? Just for input, maybe for some opinion, maybe for some redirection, but just simply having that dialogue is gonna save a lot of frustration a lot of frustration. And I know it will require someone to concede, 
and it won't require some compromise, right? But at the same result, it's going to move you both towards an end that you're looking to get together, right? Raising these kids is not a single process, right? It's not, it's a community involved and it requires all of us. So if we're all on the same page about what we would like to see happen, then there's a lot less frustration, right? Because we're we're thinking about the outcome and we're committed to the outcome, but we're open with the process. And to be open with that process requires some communication. And if you and your partner are not communicating on even some of the most trivial things, then when the big thing comes up again, it is really easy to identify how that happened because we took the little things into consideration. But when it's the big thing and then we get there and we're like, how did we get here? It's because there was no communication. It's because there was a breakdown in communication. It's because a lot of assumptions were made. It's because judgments were made. It's because we can't see eye to eye because we don't, we're not thinking of the outcome that we both have, right? So coming together with that conferencing, having those discussions helps to come up with just an idea, if not a plan, but it it helps alleviate all of those things that come with one already having behavioral issues and the behavioral issues typically stem from us not being on the same page about how we are dealing with them. And if we can get on the same page about how we're going to deal with these problem behaviors, then one, it won't be so frustrating. We'll have the skills in order to cope because we have a plan based on what we want to see happen, right? So talk to your partner. (laughs) Talk to your partner. Even if you know that's going to be a more difficult conversation, but you have to get through the muck in order to get out of the mud, right? So feel me. All right. Um, lesson 19, or this is probably lesson 20 because I added one. Lesson 20 is to be kind. Be kind, be kind, be kind. I'm kind of singing it a little bit. Be kind, be kind, because you have no idea. You have no idea. It's a little thing to you. And it's huge to them. See into the world to them. And that's fair because their world is like six years long, (laughs) eight years long, right? So they don't understand the full breadth and capacity. And we understand that this is going to be nothing. This is not going to be a blip. But we also don't want our children sitting in therapy because of the things that we did or did not do, right? Amen? Amen. So be kind. Be kind to your kid and to yourself. And to yourself, giving grace is by far the best thing you'll ever do. So just one, I understand that we're working through some stuff. I see some things happening. I know that that's going to be a challenge. I know that this may be a little difficult. I get that. But being kind, making room, um, makes a difficult situation easier. Just be kind and giving grace to yourself, to your partner to your children, right? To your family members who don't quite understand. Just be kind, right? Be kind. Uh, Lesson 21, uh, don't threaten or make promises. These are two things. If we avoid these two pitfalls, then overall, you'll be much happier. 
and you'll be able to stand in your integrity. So I learned, especially for my children, uh, not to make promises because breaking promises is the end of the world. And it makes it so that they distrust anything you say, even if it's something small. You promised you'd make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, mom. And then I got busy (laughs) and then I got tired and then I just made dinner and now it's bad time. And in the middle of story time and evening prayers, you bring up this peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I'm thinking it's not a big deal until the next day (laughs) where you ask me for something else that's equally in my mind as small. And then you hound me about it because you're afraid that I won't give it to you. So our consistency or inconsistency is what helps build or break the trust and rapport that we have with our kids. So don't make promises and then don't threaten because then you have to follow through on the threat. And again, it goes back to your integrity. Are you doing the things that you said that you would do? And if you're not doing the things that you say you would do, I have no reason to take you seriously. I have no reason to do this because you're not going to follow through on what you said. So don't do that. Don't make promises. (laughs) Don't threaten. And uh, there's less um, communication to be broken and less trust to be lost, right? All right. So in addition to um, allowing them to make choices and offering time for help, we don't reward chores. Now hear me out. (laughs) Hear me out. Because chores are great. Chores are wonderful for any age. Any child, two, one, one, maybe not so much, but two, (laughs) 12, eight, they all can benefit from a chore from a a way to help in the household. And why I say we don't reward choice is because you don't get a trophy for doing laundry or cooking dinner. You don't get money, (laughs) you don't get coins, but it's essential for your home. It's necessary to get this done. And I say that because you have to, you have to get all this stuff done. It has to be done. Clothes have to be folded. Their room must be cleaned. The bathroom must be cleaned. And these are things we have to do. So we have to do these things, but they're also contributing to our household. And we want to give our children the space and the time to contribute to our household and not to just merely benefit from it. So giving them those chores helps hone on their responsibility It holds them accountable because if you don't clean that bathroom, then no one has a clean bathroom, right? If your room isn't clean, then, (laughs) you know, your space isn't organized. It doesn't honor you as a person. So we don't reward chores because chores are a must. We have to implement those. We have to embed those. And we're teaching them some life skills later in life. They, They should be able to clean up after themselves. They should be able to clean up bathrooms. They should be able to do laundry, fold laundry, et cetera. We are raising children who will be able to take care of themselves as they get older. So we want to give them all the tools that they can have 
at the ages that they're progressing so that they have those tools, right? We don't want our kids to grow up, be 28, and they still don't know how to do laundry. They can't still clean a bathroom. They still can't, like, what kind of partner will that make them? What kind of friend will that make them? What kind of roommate will that make them? Um, a horrible one. And we don't want to contribute to that. We don't want to contribute to that. So, you know, just don't reward them for something they're supposed to do anyway. Because then when they don't have the reward, it's going to be that much more painful, right? Why well, didn't get any money? Man, I have to clean this toilet. It's just a matter of cleanliness and a nice bathroom. is a, That's the reward. A clean room, that's the reward. Fresh laundry is the reward. I get to wear my favorite shirt again. Bet. All right, cool. Lesson 23. <laughs> uh, use their strengths to build up their limits. So our kids are genuinely good at some things really great actually and something's not so much something's not so much like oh that's not a strength of yours but using their strength to help build up their limit is really helpful so if your child is an artist okay i'm gonna use an artist because i have a, a kid who's an artist but his writing is really bad he's not a good writer he doesn't talk a lot about his writing um when he has to write in isolation it's really really bad but if he draws a picture first, he has a million words. He has a million words. And we use that to help pull out his writing. Well, tell me about your picture and what's going on in your picture and what color is your dragon and what's your dragon doing? And like, what is your dragon thinking? And what, what happens when you're... And giving them the space by one, building on something that they already had to expand out something that isn't really great will help them to make connections because everything is connected. We just have to see the connections, right? So if you have a child who is a really good, um, he's really good at math, but not a strong reader, then you can, again, use those skills in math to help build out their reading. And this is my teacher hat now, right? Um, looking at the words. Well, how many, how many vowels do you see? Okay, so how many sounds do you think it has? Okay, so where do you think it should be broken apart? Because that's all of that is math, right? All of that is math. And using the things that they're really good at to help them build up the things that they're not so great at is really helpful. If your child is a singer, let's sing our letters. If, let's sing our numbers. If your child is really technical and really good with their hands, then let's bring in that tactile, that puzzle, that assembly into everything else so that you can see how, yes, you're good at this one thing, but that strength can be used in so many other places, right? Because there's a skill behind that and that skill has other skills built in it. And if we can open it up and flesh it out and let them see the, the micro in the macro, then it really helps them to have a more coherent experience. Yeah? All right. Lesson 24, open up your conversations and let them just ring out and talk. So you're busy. You're really busy and you have a lot to do and you love talking to your child, but right now is not the time. <laughs> and it's typically not the time. Um, and as much as you'd like to schedule in time, when our kids come up to us and they want to tell us about the thing that they made or the thing that they saw or this strange, look at me, look at what I can do. Again, opening that up 
And then that requires you having to transition back and forth and creating boundaries about that transition as well. But in the midst of all of that, right, opening up the conversation to the things that they want to talk about helps create a metaphorical connection that's super I have someone I can talk to, someone I can trust. And that's really all it comes back down to. Our children are more found to be in their best light, their best selves when they feel heard, understood, and they understand like we're there for them. I'm here for you. I am here to help you. You have a community, you have a village, and we value you. Without you having to do, we value you just as you are. So that there's less of a performance. There's less of the behaviors because you see that there's value here. You see that your needs are met. You see that we're willing to meet your needs. And in that we're able, and it's not just, you know, physical, physical touch, clothing, food. It's not just that, but your mental and emotional needs. We're here for those as well, right? We're here to help you in that regard as well. So opening up the conversations and allowing them to talk and allowing yourself to just talk. You can talk about the things outside of you just being mom or you just being dad. You can talk about the things that you like, the things that you enjoy, the things that you think are silly, the things that you think are great. Because I know all of my kids' interests, but you know, it really makes me happy when they know mine. When they see something that, you know, has Harry Potter on it and they're like, look, mom, it's it's Ravenclaw. And I'm like, that's so dope. The fact that they can identify because I'm looking out in the world for things that they might enjoy and they're looking out into the world for things I might enjoy too, right? Because there's, again, there's this community and this cooperation where they get to participate in. And if we can create open conversations that are not constrained to just, this is what mom does, this is what child does, then really it helps to open up the relationship and it helps to just be more art authentic, more authentic to ourselves and to the people who are around us. All right. Okay. So even in the midst of having open conversations, I also think it's important to have uncomfortable conversations and uncomfortable conversations can happen in a number of ways. Um, These are conversations that you may not necessarily be prepared for, just yesterday, my son, he came up to me on some super random and he said, mom, is Jesus dead? And I'm like, no, <laughs> Jesus is alive. Jesus, Jesus is in heaven. He goes, so if you're in heaven, you're alive. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's not what I meant. Um, Your spirit, right? Now we're talking about spirits. Now we're talking about religion. Now we're talking about his understanding and perception of God, because let him tell it for the longest time, he thought the pastor was God for the longest time. And I had to keep reminding him, nope, he's just the pastor. He's speaking the word of God, but he's not God. Um, And that can include some really strange, what's happening conversations. We also had conversations about body parts. Those are super uncomfortable. But you have to give it a name and you have to call it what it's called so that they can't be okie-dokes by some awful person. Also making room for the uncomfortable conversations. My nine-year-old, he's in fourth grade and the kids around him are dating. And I'm like, what do y'all know about dating? That's cute, I guess. But it's not so fun when somebody is heartbroken because... 
they broke up with them. They were together at recess and now, you know, they broke up at lunch and now their best friend is sad and they don't know what to do to support them. And it's weird and it's weird and it's strange and it's uncomfortable. Or when you learn that, you know, the kids on the campus are, you know, experimenting with uh, vapes or uh, you learn that one of your kids' classmates, they learned about porn recently or they're discussing, you know, sex scenes. It's just, it gets, it's weird. It gets really weird, especially for my parents who, if you have a third grader and up, just understand that your child has seen sex. They understand what sex is in some capacity because there is some other child in your child's class who's much more experienced than your kid is. And they're telling other people about it. Understand that. So you don't want your child to gain information from the other eight-year-old in their class, right? You don't want their limited scope, their limited understanding to explain these really, really heavy, uncomfortable things, right? We have mass shootings all the time. We're in America and it's absurd. And that goes across the news and people are talking about it in school. And you don't want us as the parent to shut down that communication when we really can build some understanding. We have to be open and we have to be able to give that stuff out and to help them through those difficult moments, although we don't think it's a concern of theirs. What I find fascinating is the amount of information young children know about their parents and their circumstances. And I feel that we have to be the voice of reason for them, right? Because our children are going to come to their own conclusions and they may be misshapen by what they know and what they've seen and their limited capacity on how money works and the world works and relationships work. And we don't want them stuck in that. So in the open conversations, be prepared to have uncomfortable conversations. And if you want to open up the floor for them to share all of their misinformation so that we can bring some clarity to it. And you don't always have to have the answers, right? You don't always have to have those answers, but being open to finding out those answers, being open to leaving the floor and saying, you know what? I don't think I really know, but I'm going to find out some more about that so we can have a better understanding together is modeling that that it's okay to not know. It's okay to be uncomfortable. You can even say in that conversation, this really makes me uncomfortable, but we're going to talk about it anyway. And that is, that's perfect. Because again, we're showing them, this is how you do this. <laughs> this is how you do this, all right? Um, lesson 26, let them see you rest. So I know you give yourself this, this wonderful trophy for working so hard, for doing all the things, for having everything done, but letting your child see you rest, letting them see you relax, letting them see you play. And I'm still learning how to play. It's so funny, right? Being raised in a Black Belizean household, you don't have hobbies. <laughs> you do well in school, you work hard, you handle your business and you go back to work. You don't enjoy yourself, right? That's not what things are for. That's not what we're meant to do. But I've had to unlearn that. And I've had to give myself the space to do nothing and to have joy and to have hobbies that don't make me money and hobbies that <laughs> don't impact the world. Like I garden because I want to. I paint because I like it. I'm not going to sell it. 
it's not even that great. I play the piano sometimes because I just like the way it sounds, right? But allowing your child to see you rest and see you play is really helpful because it shows them the full experience. It shows them all the things. It's not just about hustle and work and faith. It's not just that. It's we're meant to just be. So give them the space to just be and allow them to just be. All right. Lesson 27. Look at us. We moving through. <laughs> Look at us. Um, get clear on the outcome that you want. And I say this as a parent who was raised by some parents who had really high expectations and it felt as if there was nothing I could do that would be good enough. So the outcome that they had was for just me to be successful and no one really gave me any idea of what that looked like or sound like. And as an adult myself, I don't have that as the outcome. I want my children to be passionate, confident, kind individuals. And none of that is tied to success or to money. To be passionate doesn't necessarily mean you need to go and ball out. To be confident doesn't mean you have to ball out. It doesn't mean you have to have all the achievements in the world. It doesn't mean you have to be the best. And to be kind requires me there. But that's the outcome I want. Confident, passionate, kind, independent. <laughs> Figure out what that looks like. I would love for you to be 30 and not need me at all, except for emotional and mental health and wellness. I'm working on the wealth part, right? Generational wealth and all those things. But I don't want my children to grow up trying to prove anything to me. Prove it to yourself, okay? I've done my part. I'm doing my best. Your job is to be your best, whatever that means for you. And my job here is to help you define what that looks like, right? But getting clear on the outcome that you want, you want your child to have all these things. And really that's the misnomer. We don't want them to have or do anything. We want them to be a certain kind of way. And it doesn't have to be just like you. And it doesn't have to be just like so-and-so's child. It doesn't have to be, well, our cousins do. It doesn't have to be any of that. I just want you to be your most authentic version of yourself. And that will be a win. It's a win. A win is a win. That's the win, right? That's the win. So getting clear on the outcome that you want will help alleviate all of these parental frustrations that you're having. It really will. <laughs> it really will. All right. Um, this one is, is a, a big one for me. So 28 is a big one, uh, at least for me. My parents and lessons is balancing that clean and dirty home. So if you're a parent and you have a child at all, then your house is probably not the most immaculate house that it is. And if it is, girl, kudos, congrats. I love that for you. But if you're stressing yourself out to keep that cleanliness up, stop. Just stop. You have a home that is lived in, Okay. Because HGTV, <laughs> Fixer Upper, I love Joanna Gaines, all of that, 
they'll have us think in our house needs to be spotless 24 hours. And that is impossible. It's impossible. Houseway, we cannot do that. It's impossible. So instead, figure out what is your line of like dusty clean is what we call it, right? It's dirty, but it's clean still. It's not spotless because there's some mess, but it's it's workable. Okay. I can walk into this house and not feel like throw the whole house away. Like <laughs> it's a, it's a very gentle balance and you have to find that balance as a parent, because as I get older, I would love to think that it's going to get better, but girl, I haven't found it. My son is nine and six and my house, it's nice. It's, it's clean. That's a clean is it has some stuff happening, but you know, I have to pick my battles. I have to pick my battles. So pick your battles. Save your mental health. All right. <laughs> um, if you're losing your stuff, let it show. This is what, lesson 29? This is a huge lesson. If you're losing your stuff, let them see. You don't have to have an emotional breakdown. You don't have to scream and cry and bawl and yell. But if you're stressed out, be sure to communicate that. If you're overwhelmed, be sure to communicate that. You don't have to go into the details. You don't have to talk about the rent due and the bills and the stress of Christmas. Like You don't have to include any of those things. But if you're going through a trying time, It'd be better if you were to say something to your children so that they understand mom's going through something right now. And the same way I, as a parent, give you grace because I know you're tired, you're hungry, you're sleepy. Give me grace as a mom. I'm having a hard time with this. Let them see that you're human. Let them see the big emotions and how you deal with them eventually so that they can learn to go through hard times too. So that they can learn how to process their emotions. So that they can learn what coping looks like. So that they can learn how to see the space in a small opportunity. Let them see. Let them see how you bounce back. Let them see how you recover. Let them see how you rest. Let them see the full experience instead of you being perfect picture, cookie cutter mom. That's so unnecessary. That's so unnecessary. It's not. <laughs> it's not necessary. I would say, I would, I would challenge you to uh, give them your full self, your full self in this parenting journey while you're helping steer their behaviors, while you're helping eliminate those problem behaviors, while you're helping them cope with their frustrations. Let them see you and whatever that looks like. All right? My goal for myself, is that I don't have to introduce myself to my kids when they get older. I don't want to. I don't want them to finally learn what my favorite color is when they're 30. That's stupid. <laughs> it's silly. That's so silly. In the same time, uh, dinner, this is lesson 31. Or is it 30? Lesson 30. Um, let them help with dinner. Let them help with dinner. Dinner sometimes is a time of frustration. It's a time of mess. 
uh, it slows them, it slows us down. It most certainly does. Because <laughs> uh, we can do it faster without their help. But let them help. This is how we sneak in quality time. This is how we sneak in patience. This is how we sneak in coping. This is how we sneak in those open conversations. Let them help you with dinner. Let them have some say in dinner. Let them come help you shop for the things we need for dinner, right? Because oftentimes we're in the grocery store and we're trying to get all the things we need from the groceries and they looking at the cookies. But really it's like, this is our list. We're making spaghetti. What do we need for spaghetti? Oh, we need sauce. We need meat. We need, okay. So your job is to let them help. Let them help. And in the midst, they'll probably sneak some cookies in the basket and that's fine. Just catch it. But let them help. It changes everything. I promise. It changes everything. Dinner is no longer stressful. You're spending time with your kids. In the midst, you're getting some life skills. You're getting some open conversations. You're minding some behaviors. You're teaching them some patience and you're still having dinner on the table. It's a win. It's a win all the time. Lesson 31. Be honest. <laughs> and not in the way of Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. We lie. Santa Claus is still real in this house. The Easter Bunny is real in this house. Okay. <laughs> um, those things are real in this house. But being honest um, is really helpful. My husband, he never lets them win. Ever, ever. And I used to let them win because I thought it would help, but it doesn't help their confidence because if you're going to beat me, like you need to really beat me. You're not faster than me if we're going to run a race. You're six. You're not faster than me. <laughs> you're nine. You might be as fast as me, but you're going to have to work for it because we don't want to set up false expectations of like what it is. We don't want them to have misinformation. We don't want them to have skewed information. Oh, if it's not age appropriate, then, you know, talk about something else. Redirect them. I understand that you have interest in that, but that's not appropriate for you at this time. Let's talk about something else. Oh, this was brought up in school. Okay, well, let me tell you the truth. Tell your kids the truth in the way that they can understand it, right? So if you can't explain it to a four-year-old, you don't understand it simply enough. And if you don't understand it simply enough, say that. I don't understand it simply enough. I know the answer. I can't explain it to you. I don't know how to tell you. But in any case, being honest as a parent is going to save you so much time, so much trouble, because you don't have to be a liar. Uh, you can just not have told them, but don't lie. Don't misinform. Just worst case scenario, don't tell, right? Um, fear is not the goal. Lesson 32. Fear is not the goal. Fear is not the goal, nor should it be. I don't need you to be afraid of me, to respect me. Respect is dear, is admiration. It's awe and admiration. It's, it's not the same thing as being afraid of me, right? So I want to have influence. We don't want fear. We want influence. I want you to stop and think of your decision and likeness of me, not based on you being afraid of what I'm going to say, but based on does this align with the values that I was taught. 
Not I'm scared of what my mom will do. Is this based on what I've been taught to do? We don't need them scared. Scared doesn't change behavior in the way that you think it does. It modifies behavior. It doesn't not happen. It just gets hidden. It doesn't not. Fear doesn't do the thing that you want it to do. Having a child that's afraid of you is not it. It's not it. It's going to cut off communication. It's going to filter conversations. It's going to make it so that you get a very masked form of your child and the the intentionality, the intention um, is to, lesson 33, have the full scope of emotion. I want to see my child in all seasons. I want to see when they're angry. I want to see when they're sad. I want to see when they're excited. I want to see when they're happy. And I want them to experience all of it because they're supposed to. It's not just about being happy. It's not just about being happy. If the only thing I have given my child is the the willingness and ability to be happy, I have failed them because the world is going to disappoint them. It's going to anger them. It's going to frustrate them. They won't be able to get the things that they want. And if I've only ever taught them how to deal when they are happy, then I'm doing a disservice to them. They need to have all of it. They're going to experience jealousy. And for that, I need to work on their confidence. They're going to experience uh, insecurity. And for that, I need to work on their strengths. They're going to experience apathy. And for that, we need to work on what is it that they truly value. But they don't have to love everything. They don't have to hate anything. They, we have to give them the full experience of emotions and the skills to deal with all of it. Happy is one emotion. One out of hundreds, hundreds. So we prepare them for the world that they live in (laughs) as we move them towards making the world the way that they would like it to be. We are preparing them for the world that they live in and having full emotions is so necessary. And um, I would say, and I hope this is my final thoughts. I'm gonna say it's 34 because I think I gave y'all some extras and I just can't. I just can't count. I'm not good at math right now. Um, It's to to know when you clock out. (laughs) To be a parent is to be on, is to be working, right? You cannot have your complete defenses down if you are a parent. So if that is the case, then you have to be honest and tell yourself, I can't work beyond this time. I am not a good parent after 8.30. I'm up at five. My kids are up at six. I'm working with children for most of my day. I'm working with parents for most of my day. I have some time to myself. I'm working with my husband. I'm, I'm a wife. And then there's my me time. But I cannot be on all day. So clock out. <laughs> and of course, you may have when your baby is sick or, you know, midnight wake-ups or whatever, but you have to have a time where you get to turn off and you are not in connection to anyone. You allow yourself to just be. And you have to give a time in your day for you to do that. And if you can't, then you need to make some time to do that. 
But those are the 34 lessons of my parenting, consulting, teaching journey thus far. And I know this episode is super long, super long. So if you made it this far, bless you. Check you out. Okay. Amazing. But these are some of those things that I think will really help transform your parenting that will help change your perspective and move you into the home life that you actually want and what you most certainly deserve. All right. So until next time, this is Jay Tracy Podcast and I'll talk to you soon.